Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. As we enter into the summer months, we will continue to share our thoughts and views through this podcast series, and we appreciate you joining us today. Heightened anxiety and a general feeling of uncertainty have been the hallmarks of the last several months, and we understand that you have a lot to be concerned about. We are here to try to provide relevant information on how what's happening in the markets and the economy may impact you, your family, or your business in the coming months. In last week's episode, we provided an update on the economy and what effect the massive monetary and fiscal stimulus has produced for both consumers and producers, and the seeming disconnect between what's happening on Main Street and what's happening in the equity and bond markets. While the intention was to continue our review of risks outside of the global pandemic, we think the move down last week deserves some attention, as we think it points to choppier waters ahead. We came into last week on a wave of enthusiasm around reopening. No doubt about it. Most states are well into their phased reopening process. People are dining out and shopping, sharing time with a larger circle of friends and family, getting haircuts, returning to some semblance of normalcy. Airline and cruise bookings are up, gas demand is rising, and it would seem as if sentiment, once fearful we would never be able to do the things we did before, has shifted to virus fatigue, and that pent-up demand that was the underpinning of the idea of a V-shaped economic recovery is proving out. The markets are reflecting this sentiment. The S&P 500, as of last Monday, June 8th, crossed into positive territory for the year, and both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were up over 40% from their lows in March. There was a rotation happening to the underappreciated parts of the market, to sectors like energy, financials, and REITs, and asset classes like small-cap stocks were gaining at the expense of large-cap momentum names in technology, healthcare, and communication services. Really cheap stocks, too, were seeing an uptick in demand as investors began pricing in a litany of positive outcomes that would create support for multiple expansion despite what looks to be a disastrous quarter for earnings. With life returning to normal, it seemed like investors believed that stocks should be back where they started. The story, of course, started to break down following a confluence of events, starting first with a reality check about the pandemic itself. The challenge with reopening of the economy has always been the threat of a resurgence of the virus. In the hardest-hit areas, such as New York, Timelines for reopening have been contingent on maintaining a declining trend in cases, but more importantly, in hospitalizations and deaths. This resurgence was expected to come later in the summer, as we moved into fall, and has been considered when crafting expectations for a return to in-person learning and other things that would be contingent on such a resurgence. But the other challenge with reopening is that there are states which technically never reached their peak, as represented by declining trends in hospitalizations and cases. These areas have now reopened and are only now exhibiting higher cases and hospitalizations. Multiple examples of this in the news last week, including a new one-day high for cases in Texas and the most cases over a seven-day period in Florida, reflect the risk that eased restrictions coupled with wider testing 
will yield higher case counts. This lends itself to the very real concern that state or local authorities could slow the pace of reopening, as we've seen in the city of Nashville, for instance, thus creating a delay in the positive effects of increased demand in the economy. While this was probably the biggest contributor to the sell-off last week, which resulted in a decline of almost 4% for the S&P 500, there are two factors worth mentioning before we talk about what's next. The first is the Fed. The Fed has remained a strong ally and support for the risk markets since the early part of this crisis. A flurry of accommodative policy actions and consistent messaging around the need for flexibility to react to the crisis have allowed the credit markets to recover and provided ample liquidity to fuel gains in the equity market over the last two months. This mantra was consistent in the messaging after last week's Fed meeting, but what the Fed said about the economy proved to be somewhat sobering. While the FOMC maintained the Fed funds rate in its current 0 to 0.25% range, it also announced its first economic forecast since December. The forecast came in slightly lower for the year as the market was expecting a decline of negative 5.7% for GDP, while the Fed is now calling for a decline of 6.5%. The Fed does expect stronger growth in 2021 and 2022, and is actually more optimistic about the unemployment rate over the next three years than the market is. Inflation expectations are similar, indicating that inflation is unlikely to return to the 2% target before 2030. And Chairman Powell did say that the FOMC had received a briefing on yield curve control, where the Fed would buy as many bonds as it takes to cap Treasury yields for certain maturities until the economy has healed. Many economists expect them to enact this policy later this year, and it would probably cap yields close to where the curve is currently. So what does that imply? Well, it implies that the Fed believes that more of the bump from reopening of the economy and a return to normalcy will occur next year rather than this year. The inflation expectations imply that even with economic growth likely to improve significantly on a year-over-year basis next year, we will likely revert back to the low growth trend that we had been experiencing over the past few years, even with the massive increase in the Fed's balance sheet and the federal deficit. And the idea of yield curve targeting, which is meant to insulate both the federal government and corporate entities from a spike in borrowing costs, points to a continued challenge for savers and for companies like banks that benefit from a steeper curve. The final factor that has been getting some attention is the role of the individual investor in the recent run-up in smaller, more speculative stocks and in the equity markets in general. Over the last several years, the democratization of the equity markets in particular has allowed more individuals to start investing outside of their workplace retirement plan or with an advisor. ETFs, low to no commissions on trades, low to no fee accounts at major platform providers, and partial share purchase providers have all created the environment we are in today where the barriers to entry to the markets are low. should be viewed as a positive. Access to the markets historically was limited to those with wealth and those that were willing to pay high costs for that access. The shift from defined benefit to defined contribution plans created more direct exposure for individuals to the markets, and now they have similar access to what the institutions offer. The challenge is that we are in volatile times and markets can create 
and destroy bubbles quickly in such a period. The S&P 500 index, which represents the market's expectations of volatility over the next month, has been rising quickly over the last several days and has been above recent averages since March. When this is elevated, the swings in the markets, but even more so in individual stocks, can be pronounced, creating opportunities and risks that institutional traders are better equipped to profit from. Trading is hard, and that is why hedge funds demand such high fees, because they invest in technology to insulate themselves from the behavioral aspects of periods of speculation. Our view is that there are more individual investors getting involved in this market, and as always, there will be winners and losers. However, the volume in the smaller stocks that is getting a lot of attention is likely being driven by a combination of individual and more so institutional investors. So where do we go from here? As I mentioned, the VIX is rising, and so are cases of the virus. We are moving into the summer months, where volumes in the equity and bond markets are generally lower, and thus can provide the foundation for higher volatility to continue. We expect there to be continued inconsistency in how state and local governments react to the virus. We also expect that despite the recent hesitancy from the Senate on a new fiscal stimulus bill, that we will see additional support for the economy, as it is supported by Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, as well as global groups such as the OECD. We expect the economic improvement discussed in last week's podcast to continue, but we also anticipate that the markets are going to spend this summer digesting not only the reality that this pandemic is here to stay, at least through this year, but that other risks such as China and the election are going to become more relevant as well. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of our clients to reach out to your Boston private team with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as your trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives as the situation evolves by visiting bostonprivate.com. And if you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're on our website. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify, wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you once again from my home studio next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. 
Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.